to the filler hello we're going to discuss another western you know it's funny we uh, we did none and now we've done two in the side of just a few months weird how it works huh yeah uh, scheduling is weird we, we will have that happen we've got another genre coming up that due to patreon requests and such uh we're going to cover two films in inside of uh, the span of a uh, pretty brief period so yeah Oh yeah, and you know, our schedule's mostly on the fly, like what we're interested in, so I mean, this is gonna happen. Yeah. It's fine by me, I mean, it's all organic. We, we, our goal is that we want to keep you guys on your toes a bit. You don't really know what you're gonna get. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a couple weeks ago we did uh, what we did, and we're balancing out with, with a couple of good movies, and so... Here we are on to this. In a weird way, we're tying into the uh, next big release. In a very weird way, we are because we're doing a film directed by one of the co-writers of uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, this week, we're talking about Silverado, one of my favorite films since you know high school. Written by Lawrence Kasdan and his brother Mark Kasdan. And yeah, the Kasdans are all over this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jake Kasdan is in... Is in there as an extra somewhere. He's he, he's in it in a cameo, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of younger people. Yeah. There's there's a there's a there's a there's a lot to say about this film, and we could really, I mean, we're gonna have a lot to say. So before we get to it, I, I there is something that I really wanted to hit on, which is this movie came at the dawn of probably one of the last bursts of big success for westerns. Mm-hmm. This movie was right about in the last phase that we would have. Uh, We had another quick phase in the 90s, and then the genre stayed dormant. You've had very occasional westerns. 310 to Yuma was probably the best-known recent one. And then that's it. The genre is pretty much dead, if we're honest. Um, Oh, yeah. No, this... Yeah, this came at a time when, you know, not many people... Uh, like, yeah, you're right, right at the end of that, where not many people were making westerns anymore, so this is v- kind of very much a self-styled postmodern western. It, it is, and, I mean, I, I want to discuss for a moment why I think it is that the western genre, which was so popular in the 1950s and 60s, why isn't it a thing anymore? And I think it's pretty simple. We know too much. Yeah, we do. Back in the day, it was easy to see the western as a genre of people going out and you know, settling the wilderness, settling the land, and taming it. However, if you're in the 21st century, you see it as people going out and stealing land from people that already lived on it and were doing just fine, thank you very much. Yeah, pretty much. We just can't go back to it. 
there, I mean, it, it should be no. I, I say the Western is pretty much dead. We're actually just a couple weeks from one actually hitting. Really? Somewhat, yeah. Uh, at least to a degree, uh, Inaritu's, uh The Revenant is very much at least set in the frontier days. True. It's more of a revenge film, but it is a, it has some traces of it. As I said, the genre, we just can't go back to the mythology of it anymore. I, I think that for the modern audience, it's too hard to watch these movies and go, uh, but these were, these were places where minorities were more or less enslaved. Um, there are places where people were going out and stealing land from the people that lived there. I mean, there's just too much wrong with the genre. We'd like to be able to go back and enjoy the mythology, and we can't. So this movie is probably, I would dare say, the last really successful classic-style Western. Because this is a classic-style Western. You referred to it as a postmodern one. I don't think it's that at all. I yeah. Think this is, there's, the term that fits this one is Reconstructionist. This is bringing back every grand trope of the old Westerns and taking them seriously. Well, there you go. Revisionist is you take the tropes and then you sh explain what's wrong with them. I'll uh, say Django Unchained. Yeah, Django Unchained. Um, Dances with Wolves kind of started the idea of, gee, maybe we should look back at this with a little bit of sadness. Um, I, you know, it's, uh, of course, we're going to get to him in a little bit. Kevin Costner is probably the only one who's even been making classic style westerns anymore. Which is a shame. We just passed one. Uh, like, the last one we did kind of also took a look at that. Can we all be honest and acknowledge that Dancing with Wolves was a remake of A Man Called Horse just with uh, everything sanded off to get away with it? Come on. Yeah. That's how... I mean, it's based on a novel, but come on, the novel's based on this. Um, I just looked up one detail that I'm going to bring up. But as I said, the Western as it stands today, you just don't see it um, anymore. One of the few people who's even done a Western uh, is uh, Kevin Costner starred in uh, three since this movie because he did um, Dances with Wolves, of course. Um, he directed the extremely well-received Open Range, which I've heard is just dynamite. And um, then he did Wyatt Earp. Was the Postman a Western, or is that... I think the Post... You know what? I'm. I, it's a post-apocalyptic, but it's hard not to see it as at least falling to some degree. The one I was going to bring up was Wyatt Earp, which was also directed by Kasdan, actually. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So again, I mean, that's just it. Why doesn't the Western work anymore? I, again, I just think it's because we just know too much. These tropes don't work for us anymore. And they can't. Yeah, no. Yeah, this is... This is a fun movie. I mean, it's very, yeah, it's very uh, trope-heavy, as you mentioned, and intentionally so. Like, it knows, it's, it knows its way around the genre, and it just, it just wants to have fun with it. Yeah. It's, it's very much a family-friendly film. Um, it is, yeah. Except, you know, with, with the exception of a few curse words, uh, there is, there is one N-word on there, but, you know, it's not. It's used in a very, like, it's quickly, quickly dismissed by um, John Cleese's character. What's all this, then? This nigger's breaking up my place, Sheriff Langston. I don't like that word much, Carter. Boy, there's a strange bit of casting we're going to get to. <laughs> yes. This is a very clean film, as such things go. Uh, it's, it's a film you can watch with your grandparents, and they've probably seen it many times. 
Oh yeah, it's like a two and hour twelve minute movie, but it feel it feels like an epic. It does. Part of that is because there was some cutting done. Um, I know for a fact at least one character suffered very badly for it, and I'm going to get to that at a later moment. There was definitely some sanding going on. We don't have the action. We don't have the full cut of the film. Yeah. Oh, I would believe that. I would totally believe that. There's a lot going on in it, and it's just uh, you know it's big and it's. I'll take this moment to say it's one of the first movies, like, I saw it at the tail end of what would be the VHS era, and sort of the beginning of uh, the DVD era, when, you know, a lot more films were coming out in their proper aspect ratio, and this is one that we had on VHS for the longest time, you know, seeing it for the first time there, it's like, yeah, there are certain shots that just don't work in pan and scan, and that was very evident and so seeing it on seeing it in its proper format was like watching the film anew oh, i uh i of course watched it on dvd so i got widescreen uh, oh yeah there's one specific shot that really does not work and that's where costner's in the middle and these two guys are trying to sneak up on him from different ends of the building and he sees both of them he trains his guns on both of them and there's one shot where they're on they're on either side of the screen trying to sneak up on him, and he just shoots them both at once. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a good shot, and it looks good in uh, widescreen, but yeah. Yeah, the, the pan scan focused right in the middle where you can't see the other guys. It's like, what's he chewing at? <laughs> I have such thoughts on the whole idea of pan and scan and all that. That's for another cast. This, again, yeah, this is a big visually stunning film uh it was shot by uh, john bailey who's done a lot of comedies and is sadly facing the same fate that most cinematographers have today where he's really shooting a lot of garbage actually mm. that's a real shame because he's got a really good eye uh, he shot groundhog day uh, for another film oh that's cool yeah which is a very well shot film I, I, don't, I don't think it gets enough credit for that but uh he this is this is a very colorful, very bright film. Uh, even in the darkness, there's still a sense of light to it, which I think helps give it a very mythic quality. Um, incidentally, uh, Bailey's wife also worked on the film uh, as the editor. Ah, nice. So this was a, this was a family project through and through. But uh, yeah, it's a really gorgeously shot film, and Kasdan knows his uh, framing. Oh yeah. Again, we, we really cannot stress enough that. Kasdan's one of those guys that I don't think he comes up enough in terms of guys who are really important in the foundation of cinema as we know it, like blockbuster cinema. But he was very much uh, George Lucas's secret weapon on uh, such films as Empire Strikes Back, uh, Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, he co-wrote all of those. He, he's someone who really was a vital force in getting those films to work getting them to crackle and because he was so involved with them you know he, he spent a lot of time basically working around these big epic films and so inevitably he knew how to make big epic films you know he again he's he was jj abrams co-writer on uh the force awakens uh, after the original script was decided eh, not to their liking and with one of his sons uh he's writing uh, the uh, script to the han solo origin Nice. And that will be directed by Lord Miller, so... Oh, yes. One thing that is a dud 
we'll we'll have to discuss this film on a future cast because I can um, I, I'm gonna bet I already weird. know I know the one you're gonna name, but go on ahead and name it. Dreamcatcher. Yeah, uh, I knew that was what you were gonna say. Yeah, such a strange movie because you have so much talent, like all these talented forces behind it. Yeah, and it sucks. Yeah, this is what happens when uh, Kasdan, the great William Goldman, uh, working from a Stephen King book uh, with a tremendous cast, and it results in absolute garbage. And the secret is that King's original book wasn't very good. I mean, yeah. King's original book was terrible, and then these guys, and then all these hands in it went and made it even worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a bad one. That that's a bad one, and we will get around to it. Uh, but yeah, Dreamcatcher's bad. But let's get on. But let's get on to this one because this one. Uh, by the way, Dreamcatcher actually pretty much uh, slammed Kasdan in director's jail, and he's never gotten out. Uh, if you look, he's done a, a few small films here and there, but that pretty much put him permanently on the uh, yeah, this is over list. That sucks. It does, but I don't know. We, we could argue here or there. This movie, this is a very fun, light, simple movie. So I'm going to let you talk about uh, let, let you handle the plot because you've seen it more than I have. I have, yeah. The cast in this film is amazing. It is uh it is ridiculous how deep the bench is on this film. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh you got Kevin Costner. Like the main the main four guys, uh the main heroes. Uh, of course we're introduced to Scott Glenn. We have you know, Kevin Costner coming up later. We have Danny Glover. We have this is one I remember the character name, but not the Kevin Klein. <laughs> Kevin Klein, yes, as, exactly. As, as really our protagonist. Yeah, Peyton is our protagonist. He, re- Yeah, that's true. He really is kind of the main character of the whole thing. Yeah. And probably the most likable guy. So you got Jeff Goldblum in a villain role. You've got Brian Dennehy as the main villain. And he is wonderfully intimidating in this film. Oh, God, yeah. Jeez, you got... Oh, who am I missing? Yeah, you got John Cleese appearing in a small part. Yeah, Patricia Arquette. Uh, Rosanna. Rosanna Arquette, excuse yeah. me. That's well, right, because Patri- Patricia Arquette is the mother in boyhood. Yeah, right family, wrong sister. <laughs> you got Rosanna Arquette. Uh, you got... Linda Hunt, uh, from Linda uh, Hunt. who is the only actor in cinema history ever to have won an Oscar for playing the opposite gender. Nice. This is true. Hmm. Um, you've got, uh, let's see... Um, oh, man, I mean... Jeff Fahey in one of the very first things that he ever did. And really the kind of role that explained why he never did much be, uh, beyond B-movies. Because he's so good at playing sleazy and oily. And the 1980s weren't really set up to allow for an action hero like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, somebody, you pointed out to me that I did not know he was in this until now. Richard Jenkins. In his first film, actually. Yeah. Oh, he's young. Yeah, he's Jesus. very... He's young, much heavier than than uh, we'd see him later. Yeah, this is his first film. Uh, even, I mean, there are small parts up and down this film that uh, if you listen, that if you listen closely, you'll recognize them. Um, the guy that plays Emmett's brother, you might not recognize him by his face, but if you watched Home Improvement, you sure knew his voice. Oh, he's Al, isn't he? Or not Al. Wilson. He's, uh, Wilson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, oh my god. 
yeah, he's in it. Um, in a sizable role, actually. I mean, honestly, there are so many good actors in this film that just show up, and it's it's a ridiculously good cast. Um, and everybody does a really strong job. I, I have some thoughts on Klein's character that I'll get to later, but I'm gonna get to those in time, so. Yeah, I'm not... For this one, like, it's... You're right, it is plot light, but it's character heavy, so I think we should... I think we should talk more about the characters and less about yeah. the plot. Well, yeah, because, I mean, really, the plot is the plot is as simple and classic as they come. Four outlaws meet up. Okay, two of them already have a previously established connection. But yeah. four outlaws unite. They ride into a corrupt town. The uh, sheriff of the town turns out to be a uh, former enemy of one of the uh, characters. Um, Who, like, rode on a job with him. Yeah. And they just kind of parted ways uh they wind up having to clean up the town and overthrow the evil land baron i mean it's it's as basic and simple of a plot as you come for western and that's kind of nice actually yeah and it does it does make way like the plot does kind of um again you know make way for these character pieces and yeah it is is very nice because the four character the four main characters are very sharply etched and that makes sense because again all four main characters are played by excellent actors yeah kevin costner is like the young wild one we forget how good he was in that kind of role by the way i mean at this point of course he's he's now known for his grizzled older roles but he really played that kind of part wonderfully and I, I hate that Waterworld came to destroy what people thought of Costner because yeah. um, he really is a he really is an immensely charismatic, charming, talented actor. And I'm gonna hit on a controversial note here. He was great in Man of Steel. Even with the trickiness of his role, I thought he was great in that. I forgot who he, he played Pa Kent, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so, yeah. I mean, he's he's a fine actor, and but he's fun here because he's getting to play the character who's getting to have the just the best time. Yeah, he's just he's just carefree, and you know, he, you meet him in jail mm-hmm. <laughs> for God's sake. Um, and he, you know, his excuses. Well, all I did was kiss a girl. So why they got you in jail? Yeah. It turns out to be more than that, to say the least. Yeah, and. This also this is also a very funny film. Baxter, Holly, where the hell you been? You're late, and I tell you, I don't like it. It's a bad start, boys. I'm afraid it is a bad start, friend, because my name ain't Baxter. He ain't Holly. You're not Baxter. My name's Emmett. You're not Baxter either. No, I'm not Holly. God damn it! It's a very yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> keep in mind that Kasdan was the writer of the script to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Not a film light on comedy. Um, or on genre tropes either. I mean, really, this film and Raiders would make for a hell of a double feature. It would, yeah, be a very, uh, it'd be a very nice action adventure, more focus on adventure uh, feature. But no, I, I love that. One of my favorite aspects of this film is um, the the four main characters are really good at what they do. Like you can tell they are very practiced at you know being outlaws and saving people and um handling their handling their guns and uh i think some behind the scenes stuff for that they actually did learn how to handle their guns like that 
Yeah. Uh, they actually they actually did have training to like you can train to not have to aim down the sight just to be able to you know uh, aim and shoot and hit what you're shooting at. And it really does show because I mean you know admittedly. Okay, this was Costner's first Western. It wasn't going to be his last. Um, I know this was a fairly early one for Glenn, but he's done a number of them as well. Uh, you know, these are guys that are very, very much capable and very, you know, they're guys that fit the genre. And so it makes sense that, yeah, they're, they're good with the gun stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and also, we, you noted that, okay, that the guns are actually authentic for once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, and uh, each one kind of is a miniature description of that character, mm-hmm. especially like the grips. His grip is an ivory handle with, I think, a plain like a plain wooden paneling, which is basically him. Like he's a very there's dig there's some dignity to him. Yeah, there is. Yeah, he is very he's a very upstanding person, but uh, wrapped in a plain rough exterior mm-hmm. yeah very loyal very yeah brian denny he's gun has a fancy exterior but it's nothing to write home about it's not you know it's not it's a very plain inside very fitting yeah very fitting like he's he's a very classless character who likes to build himself up grand Danny glover's gun is a rifle a henry rifle kind of big and powerful and to the point it is what one might refer to as a lethal weapon oh yes <laughs> couldn't resist yes you could. could refer to it as that yes the other really notable one is jeff goldblum he plays a a guy who's in town he's a gambler he's very opportunistic and he's not so much a bad guy as he is just really sleazy and he takes the side of whoever's winning, basically. His is a derringer. Yeah. Like, you know, that he hides up his sleeve. Also a knife that he hides in his boot, which will become a plot point later. But let me pause by way to note that one thing that I love about this movie is that it's not it's not race or colorblind in any way. Oh, no. Oh, no. Goldblum being... Uh... Semitic actually fits perfectly because a number of the really big early gamblers were Jewish men. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a a fact of it. It's something that a lot of them, a lot of the original ones were. Um, so that that makes sense. Uh, that makes his casting make sense. Again, as we noted, um, Glover's race is a big issue in the movie. Yeah, his introduction. He's being uh, he's being kicked out of a bar for being black. The movie does not. The movie does not look on this even remotely with favor, and, and, and I like the fact that okay, the reason that um, Klein and Glenn's characters don't really care is because they're the kinds of men that wouldn't. They wouldn't be racist. They're both established in uh, an early scene as both having been in jail. They're they're men that are used to being in the lower part of society. So these are the guys that are going to to relate and. Uh, treat uh, Glover's character with respect and and seriously Glover's just as uh, excellent as always he's he's good in it oh he's great yeah everybody in this film has a catchphrase almost everybody his of course is it ain't right again to the point to the point yeah where he's just he's just trying to 
you know, he's just trying to do what's right, and he's just trying to right some wrongs that he knows has been like his main his main objective in the film is to kind of bring his family back together because i guess he's been he's gone off and he was uh, in chicago his own thing yeah and it hasn't really worked out that well so he's just trying to go back and try and uh you know help out and he meets up with his father who promptly gets killed Mm. if you're a relative in this film and you're not costner the clock is just ticking on your life yeah, yeah, this is true. Jeff Goldblum's character has am I am I right on this? Has married his sister. They're at least together. Um, They're at least together, yeah. And um, so he's trying to kind of get her out of uh, Jeff Goldblum's clutches. Jeff Goldblum is the type of uh, his character is the type of person that would, you know, hide a hide his weapons to use them at the last minute. Yeah. And then again, only and then again, only to have like a weak shot. Yeah, I mean that's very much. This is just he's an oily character, and we don't trust we don't trust him. I mean we don't trust him because it's Jeff Goldblum. Um, yeah, come on, I've seen enough movies. It's kind of summed up with his first line. It's like yeah, yeah, we 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 know <laughs> what we're getting. Right. Of course, it occurs to me that's one thing that the movie does away with, at least in terms of westerns, is. Usually, of course, you've got all these characters with all these nicknames, and he's really the only one in the film that's got one. Right, and it's self-styled. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I mean, yeah, not, most and most of the characters we only know by one name. Very few of them do we know by anything more than just one name. So, seriously, this is true. This is just a very, it's a very, pl- it's funny. It's a film with very good dialogue that's also very plain spoken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk about Payton for a little bit. Uh, Kevin Klein's character, he's he's easily my you know the well he's the mostly the main character, but he's easily my favorite character in the film. He's an interesting character because Klein doesn't really I, I I maybe I've seen him in too much. He definitely stands out amidst the West. This is not someone who struck who strikes me particularly as someone of the rough and tumble world. I mean, yeah, Klein sells it. Klein sells that this character belongs in this world, but he's still just his manner of speech, his just everything about how he carries himself does stand out. And I think that's that's a good move for your protagonist, uh, but this is definitely an exception to the roles that he plays. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, he's introduced, well, he's been robbed. His horse has been stolen, its clothes have been stolen, everything he has. He's laying in the de- he's laying in the middle of the desert in his underwear, basically. Scott Glenn finds him and you know brings him into town to you know try to help him out. And well, he gets into town. The first thing he sees is the horse that's been stolen from him. I just love the moment where he he sees it and then immediately reaches for his gun and it's not there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's it's instinctual. And so he goes into the nearest gun shop to buy a gun for, like, the only thing he has on him is, like, 20 bucks. And it's, like, the shittiest gun. Like, he picks it up, and, like, in one fell swoop, they establish uh, how fast his reflexes are and how shitty the gun is mm-hmm. that he has to deal with. It's It's a good visual moment. It is. I don't know how they 
times that. That is, it's I think perfect. It's, I think it's this. I think it's uh, Klein's uh, stage history. Yeah, that could be. Because <laughs> he has a long history on the stage. I believe that. I don't know what that's called on a revolver, like the middle, the gun compartment. It falls out and he catches it, and it's and it's lightning quick. Yeah, it's like that. So I mean, and he, you know, makes it work. Like when he gets the shot out, it, it hits its mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's a great moment. God, the one-liners in this film are fantastic. He claims the animal was stolen. Yeah, I know. Yeah. How do I know this is your horse? Can't you see this horse loves me? I had a gal do that to me. It didn't make her my wife. <laughs> it is it's it's a film with some great timing um yeah i mean klein really he he does a very solid i mean as i said i i don't want to sound like i'm critiquing him by saying that he right, does right. stand out because he does a very solid job one of the surprising things that really caught me off guard was how good his chemistry was with the owner of the saloon in because uh, god you got to have that trope uh in silverado and they have such wonderful chemistry i was downright disappointed the movie didn't end with him deciding to be with her. Yeah, in a normal film that would be the case, but it wasn't really that. Um, it was just, you know, a kindred spirit sort and, of thing. And I think that's what they were going for, but it was just a case of they just had such good chemistry. I just, And I think part of that stems from the fact that Arquette's character really and truly is barely a character. Yeah, she's yeah. kind of the love interest, but I really strain to put her in that category. Yeah, again, I think um, you mentioned that there was probably that they, you know, that they cut it down from. There's a lot of footage of her apparently that's on the cutting room floor, and that's problematic. And she does because yeah, she does have a distinct character. Like she does have even even if there's very little of her in the film, and that's because she's a decent actress and knows what she's doing i mean as i said i would i would have liked for at least five more minutes of her character to have been in so that i could that have, have gotten good i yeah. think it could have made the difference as it stood when at the end she's standing with the client i'm just kind of like yeah okay yeah yeah i guess this is happening <laughs> i guess this is yeah and and that's just something it's designated love interest syndrome, which I'm, I've am i brought it up before, and I'm going to bring it up again until the end of time. I see it all the time in movies, and I know that's a trope of the genre. I wish this one hadn't fallen to it. That's all. It's just simply a, a fault of editing. As I said, I know this movie did lose. Uh, I don't know how much was lost. I'd wager probably 20 minutes got cut, and I think some of that could have been character beats. Um, as, yeah. it st- as it stands, the movie's a good size at two hours and ten minutes. My, we're, we're talking about length a lot in movies. And I think that two hours and ten minutes was the right amount. I just think some tweaking here and there could have been better. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have minded two hours and twenty minutes, honestly. I think two hours and twenty minutes, two hours and twenty-five minutes even would have been good. Yeah. I mean, you don't... The time goes by pretty quick as it is. Yeah, it's a very fast-moving film. It's very entertaining, and... It, I mean, again, it occurs to me we've hit on pretty much all the characters. We haven't yet hit on Glenn's character, and I actually had a lot to say about him. Oh, Scott Glenn. Oh, he's the first one you see. And, you know, I know I'm talking about character introductions, but this movie does it so well. Each introduction lands with you. Each introduction tells you this is a character you're going to follow to the end of the film. Mm-hmm. 
yeah his is brilliant it's the first shot of the film you just it pans around this quiet little cabin all of a sudden yeah door slams open and someone starts shooting and he again instantly wakes up grabs his gun and just starts shooting back and he does not set a single foot outside he just stays where he is and tracks the movements of uh, the people who are trying to rob him, which incidentally are this are probably the same people that robbed uh, Kevin Klein, and yeah, he just tracks the movement around the hut by the light coming in through the shadows and just shoots through the wood and you know hits every single one of them. After a brief little action sequence, he steps outside and the shot is glorious because you see the wilderness from like the mountains and wilderness from a very narrow perspective, and then it just kind of closes outside you know widens into this big panoramic view and you know you see the title of the film yeah it, it's a very good introduction shot um this is a role that um by the way it's so nice to be talking about glenn in a good context after the last time we had to talk about a movie he was in i forgot what was he was in was Suck- he was in sucker punch sucker fuck that yeah and he was in a lot of it too that's the sad part yeah, God. I got to think about it. He wasn't bad in it. That's the frustrating thing. Is he was actually pretty good in his bizarre whatever the living hell that part was. But he, yeah, he didn't. Oh, he tried. He tried. He's he's really good here, though. Of course, of course. Most recently, he's been on Daredevil. Uh, so he, he's doing oh, yeah, okay. yeah. He's doing okay. But he's he's really good in, uh, as Emmett. He's just a very he's very much a man of few words. He's very much that classic Western type. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe you'd call that the strong silent type, mm. although not quite that. No, he has, he has enough to say. Um, it, it helps that again we do meet his brother pretty early on in the film. Well, actually, we we meet two of them. Come to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We meet. Uh, they meet up in Turley, and um, uh, meet up with Kevin Klein's character, and like he. He finds out that his brother is in jail there. And I love the code, the little code that they use. So this is the guy you're going to hang? Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. I was afraid of that. Yeah, can't you help me? You know the law, Jake. You know what they did to me? Lion Pete always said you'd hang. I guess tomorrow at dawn he'll be proved right. 10 a.m. All right. I always thought they did it at dawn. Yeah. It's like it, it, it's 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 like yeah yeah it's nice it's a good bit um while we're in uh in discussing that moment in the film we do have to discuss John Cleese's just really really bizarre cameo in this movie and it is a cameo make no mistake about it even though he's billed pretty high in the credits it's a cameo and it's a strange cameo it's I would say about maybe twenty minutes of the film that he's in oh I think um, it's even less it's got to be maybe. 10 tops yeah i mean that see that secret it's the turley sequence so it's you know that uh, but it's yeah he's in a scene here and there and then after after he exits from the movie it is it's also a great exit uh he's not he's not in any of the rest of it it's just bizarre that he's in it that's just the thing it's because it's not like the movie doesn't let you know at every moment, hey, this is a guy, this is John Cleese in this role. As you may have guessed, I am not from these parts. You're kidding. 
I mean, his first entrance, did you catch what his first line is? What's all this then? <sighs> it, it's just, it stands out. And what's funny about it is, I'm willing to bet that because Cleese had this bizarre cameo, Klein uh, probably scored his Oscar because of it. Because this yeah. is the, I think this is the first time he ever worked with uh, Klein on a movie. And, of course, A Fish Called Wanda was very much Cleese's project, so... That's right, I forgot about that connection. I'm willing to wager that this probably had a lot to do with how Cleese uh, decided to hire Klein for that one. Right. <sighs> yeah, it, it's... And what's great is that Cleese plays a character who's stern, he's very strict... But he's not established as being corrupt. He just wants order. And, you know, he's willing to do the fair thing. When at the end the characters are riding away, he's like, you know what? Eh, I decided my jurisdiction ends here. <laughs> after getting after getting his hat shot off. Yeah. It's just a strange bit. because, And again, it's because he's such a specific actor. He is. But it was nice to see him in it. I was, it's, it's always good to see him in anything, so... Oh yeah, he was he was fun. <laughs> I love you know he has he also has um, a fair bit of set pieces to work with, like uh, the part in where he's playing a game of chess and there's a guy opposite. You know, you assume that they're both playing, but he makes a move, then turns the chessboard around. <laughs> he's just playing against himself while the other guy's watching. That was a nice moment. Also, it's uh, talk about like. Uh, Again, Peyton's progression in the film, um, you know, he slowly, you know, gets his stuff back one by one. You know, specifically, his hat, his horse, and, like, he, he's like, well... I don't care much about the rest, but I surely will miss that bay. After he gets the horse back. The only thing I lost I really cared about. Except for maybe my hat. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, he finds a guy wearing it at the saloon. Which is just a great old-fashioned western scene right there. I mean... Yeah. Again, this movie really is very much... It's not ironic. It's not winking. This is a movie made by people who clearly love westerns and don't want to do anything other than just celebrate the genre. Incidentally, there uh, for that scene, there is a uh, deleted scene that they... Um, it's also... It's also a pretty tightly edited film, I will say. It is. It is. There's a there's a moment that got cut from the film where after he kills the man, there's a shot of the hat landing on the floor, which in in the theatrical cut uh, transitions right to him wearing the hat while being put in a jail cell. The same one as Kevin Costner. Which is a really good, just well handled. <laughs> yeah, but the, the moment in between uh, that was cut, was Kevin Klein walking up to the hat, putting his boot under it, and kicking it up onto his head. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing moment. That, that's yeah. a case, though, where it's really just a coin flip as to which move you go with. Exactly. Yeah, and they they just went with the, the slicker editing. But yeah, that was... Um, yeah, if you get your hands on the Silverado DVD, uh, I think they include that on there. And I've still got it from the library. I may check that out because that's that's of course how I watched it as always. Yeah, I do. I do believe that's actually um, 
if you're looking for that moment specifically, I'm not sure if it's there's actually a deleted scene section, but it's in the little making of segment. Which, yeah, the making of segments in that DVD are glorious, if you want to check that out. But And there's also a, there's also a running little backstory about Peyton. Peyton and the dog. Where's the dog? Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, that's explained by Di- by Brian Dennehy. Yeah, that basically it's this, this dog that somebody shot, and he survived, but, you know, he... Everybody else just kind of disregarded him, but uh, Peyton just kind of tried to uh, nurse him back to health and just kind of took care of him. I forgot the specifics of it. I just watched this last night. You couldn't tell. Um. <laughs> well, it's 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 a again it's it's a light film that's very dense. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very rich. It is. Yeah. Um. Uh, well thought out. But yeah, ultimately, the dog ends up dying, and you know, the worst part is he didn't even like that dog. Basically, uh, what's happening, you know, that ties in because to fill that hole, like, it's just, like, the dog is something that kind of, in his life, fills a hole, fills a need, like, makes him have a purpose, and, you know, gives him something to be loyal to, something to protect. It's basically screaming. It's basically screaming foreshadowing for uh, the ending. Yeah, and it's and the person that fills that role is Stella. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, for the time for the amount of time that we're watching, you know, you know he kind of you know he finds a kindred spirit in her, so he just kind of dedicates himself to her, protecting her, protecting the bar. So that's kind of his drive. And again, as I said, that does it does really kind of pinpoint where the ending is going to go. Oh, it does, yeah. It ends on the trope of the standoff and the hero be- becoming the sheriff of the town. That's right, after killing the, yeah, him and Brian Dennehy. And again, well shot. Um, you know, all the tropes are there, the tumbleweeds are there. It's one of those things where while you're just watching it, you wouldn't really notice that they're there. But yeah, they're there. They have to be there. We notice their absence. And I really... Dennehy really... He is such a great villain in this movie. Because he's so... He's so charmingly evil. He's very likable in a weird way. But he's horrible. But he's likable. Yeah. Yeah, he he, he straight up kills... Uh... You know, that's we kind of passed over Richard Jenkins' role in this. He plays the the original partner, like it's him, Stella, and Kelly uh, that run the bar, the saloon, basically. An opportune moment, they throw Kelly out because I guess he's been stealing, he's been skimming. Then Kelly tries to draw. Yeah, Richard Jenkins tries to uh, basically shoot him, and Stella kind of warns him says no don't he'll kill you and sure enough he does yeah yeah it's 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 a pretty quick uh appearance in the film uh, it is yeah but and also it also kind of shows where brian dennehy has like you know you know up until this moment that there's just something off about him but now you kind of understand yeah he's he's very greedy he's very He's just he's just terrible, but 
again, he it's a good role for the guy, and I, I've always liked him and stuff, and this is this is one of the better things I've seen him do. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, that getting back to that last like the standoff, you know, did you notice how it was shot? You know, you have okay, curse we have to go back to the back a bit to like, you know, western tropes it's um you know there's the town and the church is always at the end of the street and the church is always symbolism for what's good and right and moral you know in a uh in a western so you know they each walk out there in the middle of the street and uh behind payton is framed the entire town plus the church right there right beside him brian denny he walks out and behind him is absolutely nothing. It's just the wilderness. So, yeah, Kevin Klein is backed by the entire town and the the morality and order centered within. And behind Brian Denny, he is just nothing. Just wilderness. Just wildness and, you know, disorder. Chaos. So, I mean, it's nice. It's very subtle. It, it really is. I mean... It's just a really well-directed film. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, the characters are great. It's just, it's just packed with details. It's very, it's very rich in uh, character arcs. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice moment, like the death of Jeff Goldblum's character. Like, he dies with a look of surprise on his face. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a, how the fuck did you get that? Sort of thing. Yeah. Because he's stabbed by it. He's stabbed by his own knife, which is symbolic in itself, but he has a fight with Danny Glover, and, you know, he's used up his Derringer, and, uh, you know, he goes for the knife that's hidden in his boot, and Danny just pulls it out uh, from his person and says, you looking for this? And stabs him with it. And he just dies with a, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's glorious. It really is. It's 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 a fitting death for the character. It is, yeah. Just he's, yeah. The game played him. And <laughs> seriously, I cannot say enough good about how the final action sequences just go down. The final gunfights are just stunning. And I think it'd be better for me to suggest that people just watch it and see the gunfights and just really soak up how well choreographed they are. And and now is really where a time that I can talk about what was really one of my favorite things about the film was the score, because yeah, I actually looked up the uh, work of the composer, um, Bruce Broughton, who did not score a lot of very good movies. If we're honest, uh, this is uh, this is arguably the best thing that he scored because here's a list of some of the films that he scored: The Ice Pirates. He scored. Um, a number of very forgotten um, movies that no one talks about today. He scored Moonwalker. Why do I have a feeling that we have brought up the Ice Pirates recently? We have. He actually scored Tombstone. Uh, if you want to talk about a decent one. Um, if you want to talk about a decent Western. Um, yeah, he, sc- uh, but he scored a lot of very... I mean, does anybody even remember Holy Matrimony? I, I I do, but uh, I wouldn't say it's exactly a good thing. He scored Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. The reason that I want to bring <laughs> up his name is because he also scored The Rescuers Down Under. Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah. 
I can see that connection. Yeah. Well, actually, that was deliberate. They hired him based on this. Um, nice. And there's, it's a really, he does a really good epic score. He's one of those composers probably deserved better than he got ultimately. Yeah, that sound that's, that's sounding like that. Because he he had a good ear, but he kind of got stuck as a composer for a lot of junk. This is a really great old fashioned score, and he does a wonderful job with it. Um, oh, yeah, I. Um, that score to me will always bring up memories of, I was in jazz band in high school and one of my friends, Sean, uh, Hey Sean, if you're listening, is a fellow trumpeter and, uh, he knew the Silverado, uh, theme by heart. So he would always play it and mostly for my benefit. And I greatly enjoyed that, whatever he did. It just really sounds great. I mean, I... I mean, obviously, obvious. It goes without saying that the uh, music for this one will just be the stuff from the soundtrack. I mean, it goes without saying we're gonna use that. Oh shit! Yeah, uh, yeah. There's nothing else we can use. No, this is a, <laughs> it's a really good soundtrack. It's well worth listening. I mean, again, I don't know. This is one of those movies that it's it's hard for me to say too much about because it really just is fundamentally a, a good quality film. Um, it was it was a, it was a decent sized hit. This is just a really good film. This is just a really 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 good film. Uh, it's worth noting. Um, you know, I'm looking up just some of the stuff that the uh, people have that have worked on this have done. Um, the uh, editor on the film um, actually did edit has edited pretty much all, all but a few of Kasdan's films. I think there's only a couple of films. Uh, she even edited one of his son one of. Uh, his son John's films, uh, but they have they've had a very long relationship uh, still going on. Uh, she did uh, his two thousand twelve film. Yeah, of Kasdan's films, uh, she's edited of his ten films, she's edited eight. I just have such thoughts on just the quality of all this. It's yeah, it's it's pretty insane. I don't know. I'm trying to think of really what else to say about this film beyond that. This is a great time this is just a great fun film we've just scratched the surface of it. like we've kind of told you the plot but at the same time you just have to experience it like we just scratched the surface there are so many tropes in it i just i don't know i mean as i said i'm running low we could we could really go for a very long time on this film it just hits the tropes so well and it shows why they do work and it's very aware it's very aware of what it's doing you know it's not like it's you know it's it's playing with it it's playing with the genre but it, it really is a quality film and i really do think it, it it's one of those movies it was a modest recouper at the box office i uh, it had a 23 million dollar budget it earned 32 million but i think it's really been more of a video film it, it's much more of a video film mm-hmm. yeah it is which it's weird because that's one. This is one I would love to eventually get a chance to see on a big screen. I'm surprised it hasn't had more of a revival on the big screen because it is such a visual film. Um, yeah, I'm look. I'm actively on the lookout for uh, to see if Draft House will do it at some point. It's one that, and it's a film from 1985 that didn't get the same 30 year discussion as some of the other films of that year. Right, one that we discussed, well, just last week. Yeah, yeah, we did not intend this. Guys, we really don't plan these things. 
Just no. as this movie has a ton in common with the next movie we're going to do. We don't plan these things. No, but I mean, this is this is just, I don't know. Again, this is just a film that, Westerns, I've noticed Westerns are kind of hard to cast on because they are so visual. I mean, wow, the scenery in this movie is gorgeous. It really, it's, it's some very gorgeous scenery and so much use of blue. I'm, I always love a movie that really knows how to work the sky colors. Uh, this yeah. one does. It has such great uses of blue and gold. And fun little fact about that: they had to they had to shut down production uh, every time. Well, not shut down production. That's not that drastic. They had to stop filming every time a jet went by because huh. they had to wait for the the trail to dissipate. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's how much attention they paid. You know, they couldn't just have that hanging in the sky. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, it's a film that doesn't feel anachronism heavy. It's just, I don't know. It's a movie that, for all intents and purposes, might as well take place in the Star Wars universe in terms of the realism of it. But that's the fun (laughs) of it. That's the fun of it. It's a good, solid film. It's a good little escapist film. It's a fun watch when you got, you know, two, two hours, 12 minutes to kill. And you and you want to buckle yourself in for a ride. That is in stark contrast to our next film, which is a seventy-two minute little piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy, we're gonna have some fun on. We're gonna have some fun when we record this one. Oh god, just just watching the trailer. We could do a full cast on the trailer alone, but we're gonna watch the whole thing next week. Okay, let's let's be clear about our schedule for the next two weeks. Uh, we record these on Sunday mornings. Next Sunday, uh, we're we're going to record on this one. The next Sunday, I'm afraid that I'm going to be leaving. Uh, I won't be able to record uh, due to uh, an emergency trip to uh, a galaxy far, far away. So we're going to take the we're going to take a break. Um, we're, we we were always planning on taking a break, but. But this just it just comes at an opportune time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah we wanted to have a hi a short a brief hiatus, you know because a well you know doing this every week um, does take a fair amount of effort, and well you know we don't want to overshadow the Christmas holidays. So yeah. oh that's the holiday that's the holiday it's it's not come on <laughs> our Christmas this is our Christmas gift to y'all we're going to cover. Cool Cat Saves the Kids, the anti-gun, anti-bullying movie. That looks like it was made by people who have no... Oh, God, I just realized what... I just realized when we're doing this cast. Do you realize the cultural moment that we're using to do a movie about gun control? About gun control? Yeah, I know. We have to do it, though. I just... Yeah, I realized that, too. We have to do it. It's been in the back of my mind, yeah. We have to do it. Um... We're, but but yeah, so that's what's next is the lost tapes. Cool cat saves the kids. Oh yeah, we're giving you all a lost tape. And uh, let's begin by thanking our patrons. Uh, thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Nathan. Also, um, last but not least, thank you, Sean from No Totally, who I have um, I've kind of given back to his Patreon. Um, He's an awesome guy. A bit, yeah. Yeah, I 
I can't believe it's taken me this long, but I, well, now with my work situation, I can listen to podcasts while yeah. I work. So naturally, uh-huh. I threw a few of his on, and I will continue to listen. So yeah, and of course, you know, they just had a huge success. By the way, the cat, the uh, their last episode, of course, they were talking about an Indiegogo campaign, um, mm. and that one got funded. So nice. They had an Indiegogo. Indiegogo campaign? Well, it was an Indiegogo campaign uh, that uh, another guy that I know is doing, and they got fully funded. Oh, right, right. Yeah. But anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one, that's right. Yeah, that the one, animated thing? Yeah, that one, they, they got fully funded last night. Ah, oh, excellent. Yeah, which we're very happy for them. Um, But anyway. Yeah. Let's go down the roster of places you can find us. Yes. You can find us on, and of course, our Patreon is... um. Uh, patreon.com slash the film room you can find this on the film room.podbean.com that is the source of the cast there you will find us every tuesday and uh, we post some stuff on the blog that supplements supplements what you hear i've noticed we've been kind of doing like extensive blog posts a little bit less mm-hmm. mostly because well we're weekly now yeah we're weekly we, we, don't, we don't need to do too much introduction. Uh, every once in a while we will uh, refer to something that needs posted, but um, yeah. But yeah, we just haven't felt the need to recently. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good thing. We're doing well. But anyway, yes, you can find us there. Uh, you can find us on our side blog at thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. Uh, there you will find various articles that we have released, and we will get back to nostalgia at the beginning of uh, 2016, where we will start to discuss uh, the films that came out in 1996. Yeah, at least at least one week uh, that time, we're going to have uh, dovetailing with uh, a movie that will be released that year. Released in... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can look for that one around uh, July 4th. Yes. Yes. That'll be fun. Yeah, there are some there are some great films and some very terrible films released in nineteen ninety six. So I'm really looking forward to writing on that mm, year. Yeah, that's that's honestly nineteen ninety six is why I wanted to do nostalgia in the first place because it's yeah. a year filled with garbage. So <laughs> it is. So yes, and you can find us on iTunes. We usually release on iTunes uh, twenty four hours after it comes out on the feed, which is Wednesday. And something that uh, listening to Sean's cast has kind of brought my attention to something we've been neglecting about that. Please rate us. Please do. Yeah. Like, the more you rate on iTunes, the more people kind of, the more it kind of suggests you and kind of puts you um, up front. Yeah. So please rate us. Please rate and review the cast. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and that also gives us feedback and yeah, we, we lets us know, hey, we're doing all right. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully you'll rate us okay. But either way, please rate us. Let's see. You can find us on our Twitters. We are at PhilRoomCast. Um, Austin is at Untitled User. I am at Primitive Man PRD. And we still have the secret Twitter floating out there. Mm. We are ever coming closer to... Uh, actually revealing what that is i think people are finding it i think people are finding it um yeah we, we are has had a, a little bit of an influx of followers <laughs> um i've shared it occasionally so every now and then i have a tweet that i think is just worth sharing 
Oh hell yeah. Yeah, and again, you know, that's that's how we're that's how we're kind of giving you a clue as to what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, um, yeah, secret Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Like us. We are over the 500 like mark, which, well, sends us over the moon, which is great. Yep. Uh, we love you all. Um, yeah, Facebook.com slash The Film Room. Happy trails, y'all. Happy trails to you all. those rocks well let's go he ain't hitting nothing you idiot he's hit everything he's aimed at but they won't be out of our jurisdiction until they pass flat top today my jurisdiction ends here pick up my hat